The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game in Life Sciences, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in a digital world to improve health outcomes and enhance global health with a focus on patients and caregivers. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely positively in the pink of health in the right place. Welcome. We are so excited to be launching a brand new series, Changing the Game in Life Sciences. This is episode number one, and we're coming to you live from all over. It is Thursday, September 21st, 2017, if you want to mark that down as a game-changing day. Let me just tell you a little bit about this new series, and then we will get started. By 2025, the Global Life Life sciences market will have changed dramatically from the industry we know today. How? Patients will be more accountable for their care and have greater access to their own personal health information. Who doesn't want that? Patients and payers will demand personalized treatments with superior outcomes but cost effectively, and technology will make all of this happen. I don't want to say any more, but we are so excited. Let me tell you what the buzz on the street is here. We found a quote from the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine. Listen up. Imagine going to the doctor with a migraine headache and knowing the next day whether your DNA is to blame, or better yet, excuse me, imagine knowing whether your DNA encodes a risk for migraines even before a headache strikes. That's a quote from Kristen L. Patrick writing in the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine. So, the life sciences industry is experiencing unparalleled market and business changes due to breakthrough technologies. You've heard of some of these. You've heard of some of these innovative technologies, but maybe not related to Life sciences and health. Let me tell you, connected health, personalized medicine. How about health wearables? Come on, you've seen people wearing all kinds of Fitbitty kinds of things. How about AI, artificial intelligence? Not so artificial anymore. IoT, Internet of Things, that's all those sensors that are bringing data somewhere for some reason to be analyzed and used. What about machine learning and augmented reality? Very, very exciting. But What's the prognosis for companies in the healthcare field, life sciences field that do not innovate, that do not adapt, that do not get on board this fast-moving train? Well, we're just going to say a little bit tritely, poor business health. That's what we see for them. So the experts speak. We have three excellent thought leaders today helping to launch this new series. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll hear from them. First up is one of my colleagues at SAP. The brainchild behind this new series is Joe Miles, Global Vice President of Life Sciences at SAP. And a shout-out to our colleague, Michelle Schuf, who helped Joe put this series together. On the panel also is Robert H. Eubanks. 
He is a principal with Capgemini in the life sciences practice of the MLALS business unit, and he'll tell us what that all means. And rounding out the panel is Hussein Moraj, a partner at Deloitte Consulting, and a shout-out to Carla Neal and all of our good friends at Deloitte. So, Joe Miles has sent me a quote from John Quincy Adams. That's a little bit of a curiosity, since Adams lived from 1767 to 1848 and had no idea what life sciences was. He was the sixth president of the United States and a secretary of state who helped negotiate the northern border of Canada with Canada with Britain. He negotiated with Spain the annexation of Florida woohoo, and drafted the Monroe Doctrine among other brilliant things. Here's the quote Joe selected. If your actions inspire others to dream more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Joe Miles, how are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. This is exciting. Did you ever think you'd you'd be sponsoring your own radio show with me on Game Changers? Uh, no, it was. Uh, we've been working on this for a while, so it's great to finally see it in fruition. So uh, we're there excited. There you go. So tell me something. John Quincy Adams, come on. He hasn't been with us since 1848. It's now 2017. You picked a quote from, from the sixth president of the United States to talk about, give us an idea of what's going on in life sciences. You have to connect the dots for me, Joe Miles. Go ahead. Well, I will try my best, uh, Bonnie. So uh, so the quote is, is very old, and it's from, uh, as you were describing, uh, someone who's in the political realm many, many uh, decades, uh, centuries ago. Um, but I think it's no more relevant, uh, it's as relevant then as it, as it is today, or as relevant today as it was then, in the sense that, you know, life sciences continues to be uh, a leader in innovation, um, really across, uh, across the industry, across the, the whole health sciences gamut. And I think what's happening in the last uh, several years, in the last three to five years, in particular, where the market has just changed so dramatically, uh, both from the, the therapeutic side in terms of the, the technologies and uh, the therapies that are being developed by these incredibly uh, innovative companies using uh, the mapping of the genome, delivering uh, genomics to take a whole different perspective of, uh, of, of a disease state and how to treat that disease state. And and developing uh, innovations um, at a therapeutic level that are that are really remarkable. And uh, just as recently as uh, two weeks ago, where Novartis announced uh, from uh, hopefully a, another breakthrough medicine with their Chimera uh, Chimera release um, for their their CAR T uh, products, and it just continues to innovate. But at the same time, there's the technology side of the of the marketplace and the business side of the marketplace is also really changing very dramatically. So you have. Um, a time really unprecedented in the history of the industry where uh, the market is changing, the therapies are changing, the science is changing. Um, it has caused a, a dramatic disruption really across the, the, uh, the industry. And, and, a, and I think generally it's a fairly positive um, outcome. There's it certainly is creating a lot of stress and a lot of uh, uncertainty as, uh, in, at, at a baseline level. But yet, I think the, the byproduct is that all of us who are all touched by, uh, by our health care, um, all of us are impacted by uh, diseases, and, yeah. and uh, whether it's us directly or family, relatives, friends, we're all impacted by that. So the, the yeah. ability to have uh, organizations developing these innovations and these uh, therapies will dire- directly impact um, every single one of us. Um, and it's, uh, it's an exciting time, and it's, uh, it's a remarkable time uh, in the industry. 
It certainly is. And Joe, I have a quick question for you before I speak to Robert and then Hussein. Question is, is this something that is going to sweep everyone along with all of these changes? Meaning, would somebody have to say, yes, I want to know about genomes. Yes, I want to have IoT sensors in my hospital bed. Yes, I'll sign up for wearables, which we know people have to do. That's voluntary. But the, my question is, is, are the changes going to be something that we will accept or not as part of our lives without our signing up for them? In other words, will the whole industry just change and we will be part of it, or do we have a choice? I think it will be a bit of a combination of both. I think for many of the, the, the products in, um, uh, that are being developed now that you're seeing devices and sensors incorporated into the therapy to enhance that overall um, and to enhance the outcome, to improve the outcome of the therapy. Um, I think as, a, as a, a accountable patients um, that we all are, um, there's certainly a decision that maybe many of us can and maybe will and maybe some cases may not uh, choose to, to take advantage of some of those technologies um, just in managing our own health care. And uh, I think mm-hmm. that's going to continue to evolve. I mean, you can already see the way it's evolved somewhat um, seamlessly over the last few years if you think about things like Fitbits and what uh, the cell phone has done to the ability to track in a very simple, uh, ubiquitous, and uh, non-invasive manner that you can you can track your health much more easily. So I think that mm-hmm. will drive adherence. It, it certainly at some point is going to may come down to a personal decision of someone wanting to. Um, yeah. But I think by and large, uh, the technology innovations are making it so simple and so easy um, and so seamless that uh, it's really almost a natural extension to uh, why not take advantage of it. Thank you. That's what I was going for. Thank you very much, Joe. And again, congratulations on the new series. And now I'm going to turn my attention to our second guest. He is Robert H. Eubanks at Capgemini in the Life Sciences Practice. And Robert has sent us a quote from Steve Jobs. This is a beautiful quote. Anybody who doesn't know who Steve Jobs is, oh my, 1955 (laughs) to 2011. And actually, a little strange coincidence, October 5th, 2011 was the day Steve Jobs left us. And I will remember that date forever because that was the day we debuted our first radio show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, and we heard the news about Steve Jobs about two hours after we were done with the show. So that that date is seared forever in my health profile. So here is the quote. Of course, Steve was an American IT information technology entrepreneur and inventor, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Apple Inc., CEO and majority shareholder of Pixar Animation Studios, member of the Walt Disney Company's board of directors, founder, chairman, and CEO of Next Inc., and on and on. He changed our lives. Here's the quote Robert has selected from Steve Jobs. That's been one of my mantras, focus and simplicity. Simple can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple. Robert H. Eubanks, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Thank you. So tell me about this quote. We're talking simple. We're talking complex. Which is it for life sciences today and by 2025 or a little of both? Yeah. So I, the, re- the reason I selected the Steve Jobs quote, I, I mean, I'm obviously uh, sort of a fan of Steve Jobs. I think like a lot of people are, that's not a big hurdle to get over. Um, he did, you know, he's had a pretty big impact, uh, I think, on, you know, uh, on all of us with what he did at Apple. But um, some of you may not know or may, or may know, Steve was heavily influenced uh, by some, you know, some Zen readings and stuff like that, influenced by things in Japan. And I, too, am influenced by things from Southeast Asia. I lived in Japan for a while. My wife happens to be native Japanese. So in Southeast Asian cultures, there's always a focus on simplicity. 
And that's kind of helped uh, Steve, I think, as he develops some of the Apple products. And if you take a look at them, they're relatively simple and clean, and, and they work well. So some of that's kind of bled over. So there's a personal aspect of why I like that, that quote. But then from the healthcare ecosystem, there's a couple different dimensions on that. One of them at the personal level. Uh, I, I think simplicity for our personal health care is uh, fairly important. Um, we, we can maybe talk about this a little bit more later, mm-hmm. but from the personal health level, uh, the way that our health is expressed, uh, roughly 30% of our health is a function of our genomic profile. That's kind of the luck of a genetic lottery that uh, we were dealt with at birth. That doesn't mean that it's predetermined. It just mm-hmm. means that there's a potential on that, and there's a whole discussion of epigenetics as our genes express themselves. The other 10% of our health care is a function of the fact if we have access to good health care or not. So yeah. I think probably those of us on the phone, you know, we probably have access to doctors and physicians and health care centers, so if we do become ill, we can get taken care of. The other 60% of our health, that's a function of our lifestyle choices, and I think that sometimes we may overcomplicate our health uh, our, our personal health. And there's a lot of things that we can do that are going to help us lead more healthy lives. Like, for example, I mean, eating real food, right? If you look at the label on a can or a bottle, and if you have trouble pronouncing the word, then it's probably not real food, right? So we want to try to stay uh, with uh, unprocessed food as much as possible, getting the right amount of sleep, getting some exercise on a frequent basis, and then trying to manage stress. If we can do those things, that's 60% of our overall health, and that's going to have a huge impact on our ability to avoid disease and to live a fairly long, healthy life. So that, those aren't really complicated things, and so that's yeah. kind of the mantra I have around keeping things simple. Then in the broader healthcare ecosystem, right, I think that it goes without saying that uh, for a variety of reasons, the U.S. U.S. healthcare system is fairly complex, and it's probably time that, um, given the kind of where we are with the healthcare delivery system, that I think we all recognize the model isn't sustainable over the long term. Mm-hmm. So at some point, we're going to need to do some sort of reengineering of it, and we should try to make it as simple as we can for all the the participants in the healthcare ecosystem, and try to reduce some of the complexity. So that's an important design element that I think we should leverage going forward. Now, that's not to belittle or demean the complexity associated with biology, okay? I mean, making drugs and making therapies is fundamentally hard. So I don't want to make it sound like we should just simplify that process because there's a lot of complexity associated with it. But for the elements that uh, we would have the ability to simplify, uh, I think that uh, Steve's quote is uh, appropriate. Very interesting. I have to give a sidebar. Thank you, Robert. Uh, my mom passed away in the middle of March at the age of 100 years, one month, and 15 days. And that's very important to me because she outlived everyone in her family. She was the youngest by 15 years, but most of her siblings and her mom passed away in their 80s. And wow. um, my mother d- died in her own bed, in her own apartment. She refused to have an aide or a caregiver. She didn't need one. She played the piano for a club in her building. She did not live in, an, in a, a care building. It was just a 
regular apartment building, a three-tower building in Long Island. And uh, she played the piano for one of the clubs that morning for an hour. And she played bridge the day before for two hours. <laughs> and uh, she just didn't feel well. And she called me over and said, I can't get my pillows set up properly. Would you come over? And I was five minutes away. So I came over. And we didn't know she had the killer flu. And the flu killed her. But nobody knew. She just had a cough. And there was Robitussin by the bedside. But all I can say is that every time she went for, for a, a checkup at the doctor, the nurses, if they didn't know her, would say, your birthday is what? 1917? <laughs> Are you serious? Your body is functioning like a 30-year-old. How could yeah. you be 100? So I, I don't know. I would have loved to have seen the genomic profile of my mom because she was a wonder. And her best friend is only 103 now and, and misses my mom dearly. So there must be something in that water, Robert. I don't know there what go, these yeah. ladies... Unbelievable! The whole group of them were in their late nineties and early hundreds. I don't know. I don't know. Well, anyway, the social, net, the social network aspects are incredibly oh. important. I mean, that that's yes. something that I we probably. I mean, we we oftentimes think of the science part of it, right? Administering yeah. drugs and therapies, but people's mm. mental health and the social yes. network that is so darn important. And, yes. and what we're finding out as we do more investigative research, and you know, some, like even some of the IoT components. Are people engaging with their peers and, and what's yeah. the mental outlook like? That is a huge determinant on our long-term health. Absolutely. Her mental outlook was amazing. She loved everybody. Everybody yeah. loved her. She dressed like a movie star every day, <laughs> smiled. Her neighbors complained when she didn't play the piano. <laughs> Never, never heard of that before. Anyway, she was, uh, here's to mom. Thank you very much, Robert. Pleasure to meet you. And now, we didn't forget you, Hussein. Hussein Moraj, partner at Deloitte Consulting, has sent us a quote from Arthur Schopenhauer. I had to look him up, Hussein. He was a German philosopher best known for his 1818 work, and he lived from 1788 to 1860. His work was The World as Will and Representation, where he characterized the phenomenal world as the product of a blind and insatiable metaphysical will. It just sounds so spooky to me. He was among the first thinkers in Western philosophy to share and affirm significant tenets of Eastern philosophy. And I'm just going to leave that alone because it's way over my level. So here is the quote, and the quote is a beautiful one. Talent hits the target no one else can hit. Genius hits the target no one else can see. Oh, what a nice quote. Hussein Miraj, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today? Very well. Perfect, and, and thank you, Bonnie, and uh, it's, um, it's a privilege to be on the show with Robert and Joe, and uh, um, they made some fantastic points early on, and um, the reason I chose this quote, and you write about uh, the world as will and representation, for those of you who have, don't have a deep interest in philosophy, I wouldn't suggest that you pick it up, it's got a thumb <laughs> factor to it, and uh, it's, it's pretty dense. But Arthur Schopenhauer actually lived through the first industrial revolution, which was late 18th century power generation, steam engines and hydraulic power. And he was able to, he was one of the first philosophers that melded Eastern and Western thought together. And in addition to that, he was, you know, he had a very scientific bend to whatever he was um, writing about. And when he was right, looking at the first industrial revolution of power generation, you know, the, at that point in time, the innovation 
the process of innovation and the adoption of innovation was extremely slow. It, it you know, wasn't necessarily being studied in a, in a way that it was you know, many, many decades and centuries later on. And he had, he had the imagination, and I underscore that term imagination, to really kind mm-hmm. of view and understand how such innovation would be able to affect the world. And even though a lot of his work uh, during his lifetime did not garner, you know, substantial attention, but the impact he had across, you know, the various disciplines of philosophy and science and literature with, uh, you know, right, uh, with thought leaders like Wagner and Tolstoy and, and Einstein quoting and reading him, was immense. And I, and I like that a lot right now because for all practical purposes, we are in the fourth industrial revolution right now, which is the digital revolution, so, so to speak. And as Robert and Joe put it, it is, you know, it's, it's a very, very exciting time for all of us. Um, we've, in my lifetime, I have never seen innovation being ad- adopted so fast than it is. It's, it's impossible to keep up with, you know, um, with research that we've done in this space. And uh, we, we uh, predict that by 2025, almost half of the currently performed activities in the economy will be impacted or automated with digital technologies. That's huge, right? That's Mm -hmm. immense. I mean, even if you take a look at blockchain, which is a relatively recent addition to the digital repertoire, today 80% of all the world's largest banks have initiated blockchain projects. So the with the with the rapid onset of of digital innovation, I mean we it's it's upturning how we kind of think, react, um, and, and and sort of implement new innovation in life sciences. So uh, enough said there. A lot more to lot more to talk about um, uh, during the show, but I'll I'll pause right there, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And uh, I want to ask you, Hussein, what would Arthur Schopenhauer say if he knew that you were quoting him on a radio show? Word radio is one key to my question. The other one is online, online, on the Internet, where we're, uh, we are all speaking to each other from different parts of the country or parts of the world over uh, with no wires, and we can't see each other, and we're talking about him. Would he be shocked and amazed? Would he say, Hussein, that's very kind of you. Thank you for quoting me. I appreciate that. What do you think he would say? Das ist wunderbar. <laughs> I should have known. Thank you very much, sir, and Schopenhauer as well. Joe Miles, I'm circling back to you. We have a good panel today. Good good insights, good, well, very smart, obviously, uh, very knowledgeable of this life sciences industry and a great sense of humor, which helps to make a lively radio show. Joe Miles, this is the part of the show where we circle around the table and ask everyone two questions. Where are you calling from? Not the Google map coordinates of the roof of your house or the number on your office door, but in general. And what's in your cup today? Meaning if you're not drinking something really, really interesting, tell me what you would rather be drinking. Joe Miles, you're up first. Go ahead. Well, I'd first like just to 
point out one of the reasons why I brought Hussein on was for that last uh, response to your question, which is classic <laughs> Hussein. So kudos to him. Um, Touche. But, uh, well, well put. Go ahead, Joe. I'm uh, I'm calling you from the uh, from the lovely city of Copenhagen uh, in Denmark, where it's uh, a little blustery today, but uh, it's a, a very beautiful day in the Nordics. And I am uh, I'm having some Earl Grey tea that I uh, actually had to load into my own. Uh, own tea bag with some uh, loose uh, tea leaves or ground tea leaves, and uh, it's uh, it's quite good. So uh, working well today. Very good. To, you're in Copenhagen. I didn't know that. I thought you were here in the U.S. Why, my goodness. No. Uh, a friend of mine uh, is the father of the gentleman who owns the Roberts Cafe, which is on the Walking Street. Very popular cafe. And they have, I think, like an Arabian Nights downstairs where it's pillows and cushions and people play the guitar and there's good food. So if you happen to wander by there, tell them Bonnie said mm-hmm. hello. Okay, Joe Miles? I'll, I'll talk to you offline about that. Very, very interesting. Uh, it's on a corner. Probably I don't know the name of it, but I'll, I'll find it for you. It's supposed to be very famous. Robert H. Eubanks, where art thou, and what are you drinking, or what would you <laughs> rather be drinking? I am uh, calling in from Geneva, Illinois, so that's uh, in the western <laughs> suburbs of Chicago. Could be and, Geneva, Switzerland, but it's not yeah, today. Let's go exactly, with that. Okay, yeah. I go should have said Geneva to try to top Joe on that, but uh, no, it's Geneva, Illinois, so... Uh, what am I drinking? Well, so I'm not drinking it right now, but what I'm a fan of drinking is uh, I've, over the past couple of years, I've uh, started learning and experimenting with Japanese whiskey. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people don't know, but uh, Japan, I think, is the third or fourth largest uh, country that produces the third or fourth largest amount of whiskey in the world. So it's, kind of, it's kind of an interesting history. Um, I don't know when the country was exactly introduced to whiskey. I imagine after the Meiji Restoration period, but what, what did happen, though, was after the First World War, uh, the owner of the Yamazaki Distillery sent one of his top students off to Scotland, who spent, and the gentleman spent three years there and learned all that he could about the fine art of making whiskey, and then he returned back to Japan, and in typical Japanese fashion, they reverse-engineered everything and then have built up some uh, actually very, very good whiskeys. And a couple of years ago, Yamazaki won uh, Whiskey of the Year, and so that kind of started a whole resurgence and interest in, in, in Japanese whiskey. So the, the one that I uh, enjoy now, it's, it's the, the Nika, the coffee. It's called coffee malt whiskey, but it's not coffee as in like what we, what we might think of like Starbucks type coffee. So it's, uh, the coffee is actually the name of the, the gentleman that invented the, the distilling process. So it used to be that the, the whiskeys were made in pots and, I forget the gentleman's first name, but Mr. Coffee invented some a process that he ended up patenting, which was a continuous uh, distilling method, and mm-hmm. then it kind of made alcohol a little more palatable and easy to drink, so it became, uh, it, it grew in popularity, and so that was one of the techniques that uh, the Japanese perfected. So when you see coffee malt or coffee grain malt, it's not like coffee, or it's not whiskey infused with Starbucks or something, it's actually the name of the distilling process used, so... That uh, maybe later today I may be uh, enjoying a cup or two of that. I'd Very Robert and I are going to definitely get along really, really well. <laughs> I, I was going to say, my Japanese you meet, whiskey. You yeah, do. And, you meet uh, the nicest people here on Game Changers. Who's saying it's your turn? Where are you? Tell us what your favorite drink is. I and and before we get into that, Robert, um, offline, um, 
I'll, I'll let you know this uh, Japanese restaurant in Boston. Okay. Which has the most amazing line of Japanese whiskeys that I've seen, and I kind of travel around trying to find a good uh, 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 bar. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that. Yeah, um, right on. Bonnie, I am yes. speaking <laughs> from uh, yeah, 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 the town where which celebrated the Boston Tea Party, and in uh, good form, um, I'm drinking my chai, my tea. Um, I, I love my coffee, and, but like with many of us, we've learned to tolerate you know, different forms of coffee as we go to clients, and, and you know, you've got some, some brew there that you've got to tolerate. But I do not tolerate bad chai. I, I need my ah. tea absolutely perfectly brewed. Um, it has to be boiled in water with, my, with, with the tea bags for a certain amount of time. You use a particular type of milk, and I usually add some cinnamon, some cardamom, and some cloves um, to give it that uh, you know, lovely aroma. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a little bit of sugar in it, and that's my, my afternoon chai or my morning chai. That sounds lovely, Hussein. And the last time we had a guest, it was, oh, probably four or five years ago in one of our other Game Changers series, a guest who was a as particular about his tea. He was British, as it sounds like you are about your chai. And he lectured us very briefly about the millimeters of thickness or thickness thinness of the teacup china had to be china he told us the exact boiling temperature of the water he told us the exact number of seconds with which to steep the tea and how to hold the cup and drink it and it was absolutely fascinating and you have you have come very close in a very genteel way to to uh to replicating that and i want to thank you by the way joe miles the name of the place i wanted to refer you to is called the living room it's a roberts cafe and where it has it it's a fun place in the in and the food is great, and they might even have a waffle, uh, a special homemade waffle called the Bonnie Waffle. I'm not sure about that. No, it's not well, a dance. It's something to eat. Joe? While we're naming places, well, Robert, yes. it's called Pabu, P-A-B-U, okay. in Boston. I'll be there in a couple okay. of weeks in Boston, so I'll look it up. <laughs> there you go. This is, uh, well, you know, Joe, um, this is Bonnie, Life Sciences sure. and Travelogue. What are we talking yes. about again? What are we talking about again? <laughs> I, I, I think it's... Uh, well, you know what? It's life sciences is about life, life, life and health and feeling good. And that's the core. Oh, and I right. think oh, okay. Robert yeah. was saying to me, Robert was saying that it's a lot of it is mindset and attitude. And so we, we don't have to be totally scientific, but we are very excited to have the debut of our new series, Changing the Game in Life Sciences Radio. My esteemed panelists, they're charming, they're intelligent, they're focused. We'll get back to the topic, Joe, I promise. We have a whole year ahead of us. Joe <laughs> Miles, Robert H. Eubanks, and Hussein Moraj. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and all they let me drink on radio show days is cool, clear water in my cool, clear mug. I have a pink straw celebrating the beautiful sunny day, pure blue skies here in my new home office in Durham, North Carolina. Woohoo! So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have a lot more we are talking about life sciences. What is happening in the industry? What do you need to know as a consumer of healthcare or a provider or an innovator or a scientist? Anybody, we all want to deal with health the best way we can. 
whether we're on board the innovations or not, whether we're being dragged along into the new age of all of this new kinds of medicine. So we're going to do a deep dive into what is really, really happening. And again, this is the debut of a new series. We'll have four episodes this fall and then a full year next year. So this is a place you really want to tune into. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. From an integrated digital core to a digital health sciences network, SAP simplifies collaboration across the value chain to enhance global health in new and innovative ways. Changing the game in life sciences brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges and cutting-edge technologies to help you digitally transform for an improved focus on the patient and the caregiver. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top industry and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the digital economy is shaping the future of life sciences. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Changing the Game in Life Sciences, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game in Life Sciences. And indeed, we are exploring all kinds of ways the game is changing. Brand new series. Very excited. Shout out to Joe Miles, who's with us, and his colleague, Michelle Shu for putting together great idea for a show. This is the first of four episodes in the fall of 2017, followed by a full year of 12 episodes in 2018. Can't wait. Now it's time for our, in earnest, our panel discussion roundtable. Joe Miles is going to start, and here's what Joe told me in his notes before the show. He said, patient and medical device information is now being connected through smart technology. We're talking IoT, blockchain, machine learning, artificial intelligence. Joe Miles, tell us more, please. Well, Bonnie, I think it's, uh, again, it's a very remarkable time. And I think Hussein and, and Robert really hit on a couple of elements of the, the market transformation that's going on and the focus on really the personal accountability that the patients all have to not only uh, take control of our own health, but have the ability ability to do that. And I think it's centered at, at, in that, uh, in that uh, process is really the ability to leverage um, really simple but very innovative technology that's, that's continuing to emerge. And if you, if you think back to, you know, it wasn't so long ago that uh, the cell phones we currently had were much more rudimentary than they, than they are. And was the uh, Steve Jobs, Robert's quote of Steve Jobs was, uh, was relevant mm-hmm. in, ter- in the terms of uh, disruption that Apple created with the cell phone and with the iPad and this incredible experience, that has just continued to grow and morph and the ability now from both a cost and from a technology perspective to leverage a variety of different types of devices and sensors 
um, are really giving us an opportunity to manage our health care, uh, manage our own health in ways that really were never um, really feasible uh, previously. Um, whether that's a sensor that's attached to your body, whether that's you tracking information Bluetooth off of your cell and then fed into your cell phone, which is then communicated uh, through the internet back to your physician to monitor things like um, your heart rate, um, you know, the, the status of your device, uh, whether that be a pacemaker or maybe an insulin pump of some sorts, um, mm-hmm. taking, you know, just there's a whole litany of, of areas that are, that are happening. Um, it's really, really transforming and really giving uh, individuals the opportunity to take more control of their own health, to be more accountable, more responsible, and, and in most cases, more knowledgeable. Um, knowledge, I think, uh, really feeds on their ability to then maintain and improve their own health as they become much more aware of it uh, than they have in the past. Um, that's really starting to even be embedded now as, as we look at not only it's not just the development of a drug, but the development of a drug plus some type of device sensor that's used in conjunction of, of an overall protocol and, and ther- therapy, uh, which you know ultimately would have a much improved outcome for, for the patient, which is a win-win for everyone involved in the process. Joe, quick question before I get Robert and Hussein in on this. Are patients as excited as providers, developers, innovators, inventors, uh, people who are going to make money off these devices if they catch on, uh, the doctors, the nurses, the hospital staff? It sounds exciting to me, but are patients saying, yes, wow, I'm going to be connected? Are they saying, oh, God, something else for me to do? Just a little reality check here. What do you observe, Joe? So I don't know if they're more excited as much as I think if you look at how pervasive the cell phone is now across all of our, you know, lives, social business and otherwise, um, I, I think what I see more is that um, the wearables are becoming more seamless, more invisible. The, the ability to track is becoming more invisible. Uh, it's utilizing something as ubiquitous as a cell phone um, that uh, is, is available. We're using it in our, in our daily lives. So, a lot of these devices and sensors, although starting out as, an, as a kind of overt device that you would see or you would wear or something to that effect, now it's just becoming integrated into your, into your daily routine, and it's somewhat seamless. And again, it goes back to the simplicity um, that, uh, that really drives it, and the more simple the solution, the more effective it's going to be, the more people are going to utilize it, and the greater adherence you're going to have to uh, a prescribed protocol, um, which ultimately will have a, an improved outcome. Uh, and that's, I think, the the exciting part about it. Uh, I think the physicians and the care providers, and and I think parents and and children and so forth, are probably more uh, more excited than the actual patient themselves. But the uh, the simplicity and the ease of access, I think, is really driving a lot of value for all involved. Thank you very much, Robert H. Eubanks at Cap Gemini. Love to get your thoughts on what Joe just shared. Yeah, I, um, so uh, some great content there. What, what I, one point I wanted to bring up, though, was it, it, when we kind of launched the call uh, here or, or the podcast, Joe brought up a great point around, you know, uh, or he asked a question, you know, do you think people are going to get engaged in this and how are they going to feel about, you know, giving up more of their data? And I think this kind of streams into what Joe just said there. Um, I think that probably early on there's going to be some reluctance, right, because there are going to be some very legitimate privacy concerns that people mm-hmm. have out there. But what I think is going to happen, and it's like Joe alluded to in, in just the recent comments, once we start to understand the power of this and what's going to happen, it, people are going to become more comfortable with sharing their information because they're going to see the improved outcomes. And, I mean, a, a use case that I think is probably a little bit closer than maybe some of us think but let's say uh, you're suffering from type 2 diabetes, 
um, you know, there's, there's the onset now of uh, the continuous glucose monitors are starting to become more and more mature. And there's a discussion that Apple now is probably going to come out with some sort of glucose monitoring device. It'll probably be a band that actually attaches to the Apple Watch itself, and they won't probably build the functionality into the watch itself. Somebody will come out with maybe a Class 2 device uh, that, that's actually a band. But in effect, you can monitor your glucose 24-7. Well, let's think about this for a second then with the Siri and the artificial intelligence integration of this. You wake up in the morning... You ask Siri or Alexa or whatever it is, how am I doing? The system can come back and let you know what your insulin levels look like and maybe make some, you know, recommendations. It all, you know, may have access to your calendar, ask you if you plan to go out and still exercise in the morning. If you say yes, then maybe you need to adjust your nutritional intake that morning or maybe your insulin levels, whatever you need to do. Likewise, uh, if you're out and uh, you have location services turned on, you walk into a, a Panera Bread, you could ask Siri, how am I doing? And it'll understand, you know, where your glucose levels are and then give maybe recommendations on, you know, what to have for lunch or something like that. And then obviously the more information the system collects, the more accurate it becomes in uh, helping guide you, proactively guide you through, you know, healthy outcomes. So where that may sound a little creepy to people at first, right, that mm-hmm. they're talking to Siri and they're getting advice, once they realize the health benefits of this, it's gonna, that's going to be when I think the dam breaks and people start getting more and more on board with it. And the other broader benefit to society is the more people we get on board, there's, there's going to be like sort of the network effect. We start collecting more data, and we can start looking at that data, uh, you know, in de-identified purposes, and then start using that to develop additional therapies that help people more. So I, I, I am a firm believer that once this technology begins to mature a little bit, and we kind of get over some of those initial privacy concerns and stuff, it's just going to take off like we've never seen before. And it's, and it's our health, and I think everybody out there, right, we're all concerned about our health. And if we are afflicted with some sort of disease, then anything that we can do to help mitigate the disease state, uh, people, I believe, will get on the bandwagon for that. Thank you. When you were talking about that, uh, Robert, I was thinking of having that device on and, and going to a, a Starbucks or a Panera and wanting to order something and having Siri, Alexa, or whatever your personalized PA yeah. saying, Bonnie, you already had a bagel this week. Exactly, no cream yeah. cheese. The schmear, nope, that's going to be tomorrow. You have to earn those points. And then that brought to mind, Robert, there's an old song. I don't know if anybody on this panel remembers it, but I do. It was by Joanne Campbell, and the title was Mother, Please, I'd Rather Do It Myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Little little bit of that, uh, yes, parental there. But you know what? It sounds like it would be fun. I have to try that, and I will forego the bagel if if uh, my personal assistant tells me to. Hussein Mirage at Deloitte. Love to get your thoughts. Good conversation here. What do you want to add, please? Joe and Robert have made some great points about patient and patient use and in, in um, you know embedded technologies. What I what I kind of think is. You know, if, I, if we step back, one of the reasons why healthcare costs have just spiraled out of control in the past few decades is that we have been focused on, um, you know, the, the, the symptoms, so to speak, right, mm-hmm. rather than prevention. And what embedded technologies and remote monitoring capabilities, what they can really allow you to do in healthcare is to move from being reactive towards proactive and proactive health and prevention, right? 
that in itself has massive implications for reducing the overall cost of health healthcare if at least if not reducing at least you know slowing down the pace of of um, increase mm-hmm. number but this does not come without its challenges right so yes we can talk about embedded innovation and, and remote monitoring lots and lots of good um, value to come out of that but what about the the issues that we have to deal with around them like we, we which we never had to consider before like security cyber security um, uh, medical product um, security um, mm-hmm. uh, ability to hack into these various systems you know so all these challenges crop up around the adoption of these innovations which i think from an industry perspective we still haven't really gotten our, our head around and we still haven't really put practical solutions in place to prevent them because there's going to be a host of issues with this moving forward um which i think the industry uh, will have to deal with very interesting. Yeah, Joe Miles, I think that's a whole topic for an entire uh, episode. What do you think? The privacy of connected healthcare, Joe? Yeah, it's uh, it's you know, and it's been a problem for many years. A challenge. It's going to continue to be. I think uh, I would I would agree with Hussein. Uh, the the cybersecurity element is probably one that's a little bit newer to the to the discussion, and probably has a lot more I think dire consequences of some, some sorts and. I think what we've seen from companies like 23andMe and other places where if if people can, uh, if they see value from giving their information and, and giving it being it's still anonymized, but maybe it's aggregated into a group of a thousand patients and they look at the numbers, I think we've, we've seen that there's a willingness for patients to, to forego their privacy for that for the greater mm-hmm. benefit. But my, my, I think uh, I would agree with him that the uh, the cybersecurity is a, is really a, a concern given, given the uh, actors that are out there these days. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of uh, I think I think we're finding that recently there are some quote unquote inadvertent disclosures or exchanges of account information that were done from person to person and not through a hack, just somebody dumb who gave too much of information that wasn't theirs to give and need it back, and and that creates all kinds of OMGs around that. Thank you. Uh, you know what, Joe? In the interest of time, I want to jump over to something from Robert H. Eubanks' list. So, Robert, in, uh, I've got to pick a topic here. Let's see. We can talk about therapy adherence, but do you want to continue along the idea of personalized medicine and add some of your notes here about uh, the what, what the genome and DNA mean to all of us? Yeah, uh, Robert, I, yeah. what's, what's your pleasure? You want to do that? <clears throat> yeah, let, let's do that. I mean, that's kind of like one of my personal passions. So, Good, uh, let's talk about that. Go ahead. Tell, tell us a little more, and then we will have Hussein and Joe jump in on your topic and yeah. add their thoughts. Go ahead. So I think um, <clears throat> this actually kind of dovetails nicely into what Hussein was talking about, about the need for preventative medicine. Mm-hmm. The, uh, what's going to actually, what's happening now, it's not actually not that futuristic anymore. There are actually organizations that are out there actually providing what we might want to term scientific wellness or, you know, precision wellness. We have precision medicine as well. But what, what's actually happening right now is that uh, we now have the ability to do full genome sequencing. We can take a look at uh, the, uh, our microbiome, the proteome, uh, our metabolome, and come up with really the, what we might want to call the digital you. Right? It's really the true workings of our body and, and what makes us unique. 
And then based on this information, we can then say, okay, uh, Robert, you have a predisposition towards the X, Y, Z disease states, a, a series of things. And because we have this ability to see that we have predispositions, we can then start taking actions very early to ideally mitigate the disease state forming, right? So if I, have, if I show that I may have a high level of sugar sensitivity, then obviously I might be a candidate for diabetes at some point in life. Therefore, I need to start taking, you know, uh, early actions, to, uh, you know, watch my diet and exercise and things like that to present, you know, prevent the onset of diabetes. Likewise, uh, we can take a look at, you know, cholesterol profiles and, and do things around that. And I, for example... I, uh, I have a high, I'm a producer of high cholesterol naturally, so, mm-hmm. um, but there's, there are two types of bad cholesterols. There is a small BB-like bad cholesterol and there's a large fluffy type of bad cholesterol. Through the analysis, it found out that I have the good bad cholesterol, so I have the large fluffy one, so <laughs> therefore we don't need to intervene with statins at this point in time. I can, I, I can manage it differently. But the ability to be very predictive here or, or preventative is going to be, uh, I think, a big win for our healthcare ecosystem. And likewise, we start collecting this data, and if we monitor people over time, we'll be able to watch people as they make the transition from a healthy state to a disease state, and we kind of sort of reverse engineer what happens. And that will then allow the next generation of preventative therapies to come out. Oh, we saw the genes begin to express themselves in this manner. Therefore, we know this is the early onset of the disease state. We can now go in with some sort of preventive measure. Maybe it's CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing or some sort of personalized therapy to mitigate the gene from expressing itself in a certain way that causes that disease state. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have the precision medicine part of it where when we do have diseases, how do we begin to tailor therapies that work on our unique genomic profile, right? And this is going to be one of the big transformations the life science industry is going to go through over the next decade or so, in that right now we develop therapies based on population averages for the most part. We develop pills and therapies that uh, ideally we can sell to the broadest population possible that doesn't do any harm. What's going to happen is, with all this, the information out there and the ability to crunch this information, we're then going to start designing therapies that work on much smaller populations. So that's going to cause a big transformation within the industry. It also, we're also going to see the emergence of new players out there. So the companies that are very, very good at managing very large data sets are going to uh, make an emergence, and, and there'll be some interesting challenges in, 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 as the industry goes through that. But I think we are right on the cusp of the next decade or two of just incredible changes in the way we think about our health and in the way we administer our health. Um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> kind of happy that I'm going to get to be a part to, uh, you know, to go through this transformation. I, Robert, I have to tell you, I'd never heard of fluffy or sticky cholesterol, and I just looked it up, and I found an article called, Is yeah. Your Cholesterol Fluffy or Sticky? And there's yeah. a test you should take, the VAP Vertical Auto Profile, and there's yeah. a type A. If it's type, like you said, it's yeah. good. It's fluffy and large. It will not relate to yep. oxidative stress and inflammation. And the B, uh-oh, small sticky. Oh, my goodness, that was new. I'm actually going to tweet that along with a lot of other things but, we're talking about. Hussein, I don't need to know what your cholesterol looks like, but why don't you... Comment on what Joe, uh, what uh, Robert just shared with us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that was that was fa- a fantastic overview by Robert. Uh, one thing I will add, though, is that Robert mentioned, uh, you know, the growth of data and and data sets, and I think that's where uh, a lot of um, the 
a lot of innovation will be born in terms of the ability for organizations to really drive uh, precision medicine. Um, for instance, I, I, I was working with a, um, uh, a large biotech manufacturer that focuses on multiple sclerosis, right? And uh, it's been collecting data for almost a, a decade and it's only now and recently that you've got the tools to be able to drive, uh, you know, cognitive analytics and be able to put heterogeneous data sets together that it was able to see that patients who suffered a particular disorder, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to mask some of this so that, so that it's you know, not proprietary, who mm-hmm. suffered a particular disorder were much more prone to their their therapies than anything else in the marketplace, right? So all of a sudden, um, uh, you can sort of zone in on groups of patients rather than cast, casting a much wider net to be able to help them with targeted therapies, which we never really had the opportunity to do in the past. So, I mean, it's really, really exciting in the world of uh, science right now. Um, especially with the availability and the uh, and the ability to to dissect a lot of these uh, data. Thank you, Hussein. Guess what, Joe Miles? We're already in the crystal ball predictions round at the end of the show. Just not enough time. You have so many topics left on the table here, Joe. I think you can plan the next three episodes for the coming months without any problem at all. We have four minutes left. So I tell you what, guys, I'm going to give you each 45 seconds for your prediction. It could be what is Joe going to schedule for the next episode of this series, what his topics are, or what do you see coming down the pike by 2020 that will continue to dramatically, dynamically, and significantly change life sciences. So, Joe Miles, I can give you 45 seconds. Use them well. Predictions, go. Well, I think pretty clearly we're going to continue to see um, targeted genomic-based um, therapies emerging, um, as was just recently, as I mentioned, the Chimera release by Novartis. You had the, um, the Catruda release by Merck last year, or Opdivo. Diseases that are uh, therapies that are going to be based on a genomic profile, which has a, a predisposition to uh, an individual has a predisposition based on a biomarker and would be a good candidate for that therapy. Right now, those are extremely expensive um, and, and, you know, very innovative products. But as the science improves, as it becomes more, certainly not commoditized, but as it becomes more common and, and, more, and proliferates across the, the research areas, hopefully we'll see an increase in the number of uh, drugs that are coming out on those and the, and the effectiveness of those drugs. But hopefully we'll also see a simultaneous decrease in the cost as they can become more generally available and as the technology becomes um, you know, uh, more standard and, and more widely utilized, which hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be much better at it and we can reduce the cost, uh, reduce the time to market, and, uh, and improve outcomes in the, in the manner in which they're doing currently, which is pretty remarkable. Thank you, Joe. Robert H. Eubanks, I've got 30 seconds for you. Use them fast. Go ahead, Robert. Predict. Yep. So uh, I think we'll see the the continuing progression of uh, you know the, the scientific wellness, but I, I also hope that we kind of move forward with what I'm called the democratization of healthcare, where we learn more about healthcare, and that means introducing it in like the K through 12 levels, so that we learn the importance of taking care of ourselves, and that's like eating good food and sleep and all those 
things that we all should be doing that are going to help us uh, live a happy, long, healthy life because we should be able to make it to 100 years old and then check yeah. out uh, via kind of the full system shutdown and avoid chronic diseases. So this democratization of healthcare, I think, is going to be a very important thing uh, to, to, to all of us. Thank you very much. Hussein Mirage, I have 30 seconds. That's all. Go ahead, predict. We will stop using the term digital when we describe life sciences or anything else because it's going to be business as normal. Nobody says, you know, we're doing online banking. It's banking as usual. And everything is embedded and woven through, um, and that's the nature of work. And hopefully the human side of it will be discussed a lot more in the upcoming um, shows. Thank you very much. Joe Miles and Michelle Schuf, bravo on a great series debut. Joe, thanks for being a panelist. Robert H. Eubanks, Cap Gemini, you rock. Hussein Miraj at Deloitte, you rock as well. Go enjoy that perfect chai tea. We will be thinking of you and uh, all of the wonderful beverages you mentioned. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This was a wonderful debut to the series. Joe, you agree? Yeah? I agree. Outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. Good, good, good way to rock it. And here's what we're going to say. Here's my call to action. We say this on all our series, and we always mean it. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Get some sleep before you get behind that wheel. If you have an autonomous car, maybe it doesn't matter. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Joe Miles, just like Robert H. Eubanks, and just like Hussein Mirage. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Talk to you next week on Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game in Life Sciences, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.